0: Welcome to the podcast that takes you back in time to rewind and relive all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling. Get ready to go beyond the bell bell. with your host, ring announcer, Sean Beckerman.
1: We are finally here. We have arrived at the final edition, the final episode of the first season of Beyond the Bell covering World Championship Wrestling, part two of the greatest gems in World Championship Wrestling. I'm your gemologist, you can call it. Well, I'm your old school party host, Sean Beckerman, back with you to cover the greatest gems in WCW. We covered part one, 10 moments that we'll never forget or some that were hidden that we brought back out to the light of course it doesn't cover all the moments i'm sure there's many more you can also send me your comments of what uh, moments memories or matches you think we should have added especially after tonight's edition but part two will cover another 10 possibly more another 10 moments in WCW history that can be called some of the greatest gems and some hidden moments you may have forgotten as we'll wrap up the final episode of Season 1 of Beyond the Bell. So buckle up for one last ride, reliving World Championship Wrestling. Ringside Collectibles is the number one online retailer for the newest and hottest professional wrestling action figures. Since 1995, Ringside Collectibles has been the industry leader in professional wrestling figures and collectibles and are known worldwide for their high quality, their service and detailed looks at your favorite wrestling figures, including top quality photos and a renowned YouTube channel. Simply put, they are here to help you. They know how hard it can be to find brand new WWE figures in your local stores. That is why they strive To provide you with the best possible wrestling figure shopping experience on the web. You can check out the latest releases at ringsidecollectibles.com and wrestlingfigures.com. To stay on the pulse of what's new, hot, and exciting in the world of wrestling action figures, follow Ringside Collectibles on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at RingsideC. Ringside Collectibles, the home for the professional wrestling action figure fan. The feud that made WCW hardcore Cactus Jack versus the Nasty Boys. Before Hogan and Friends. Polluted the WCW main event scene and before ECW started its revolution. WCW was a fresh product that had quality wrestling, had solid storylines, and fast paced but still coherent and welcomingly original booking that was a contrast to some called the cartoonish kid-like product of the World Wrestling Federation. Enter the freshness in the form of the infamous tag team title brawls between Mick Foley and the Nasty Boys. After Cactus Jack had lost his shot at the WCW World title against Big Van Vader, Foley was given free reign to book his own hardcore matches and in turn foley had given us two of the greatest hardcore matches in wcw history two matches that set the template for the countless ECW brawls when Cactus Jack teamed up with Max Payne and the second match where Cactus Jack teamed with Kevin Sullivan. Spring Stampede of 1994, Cactus Jack and Max Payne became a duo and then at Slambury 94, Sullivan Foley, what a hardcore combo. Both these matches involved the Nasty Boys and the Tag Team Championship, which made the brawls more meaningful. Both these matches showed how certain Tag teams, you know, could really adapt to a style that disguises their weakness. That's what Paul Heyman was so good at, hiding the weaknesses and overemphasizing the strengths and positives. Both these matches featured little wrestling, but intense brawling where each weapon made an impact and each shot actually connected and nothing was blocked. Everything was used in these two matches. Souvenir stands, shovels, tables, chairs, clubs, crutches, fire extinguishers, hockey sticks, trash cans. It was chaos, a mess, a full-fledged disaster, but it was revolutionary because no company, not even ECW, let alone WCW, had ever attempted to do matches like these before it was a testament to the strengths of public enemy, Kevin Sullivan, Max Payne and McFoley that these matches became influential, really some call them even hardcore classics, not stylistic wrestling wise, but the hardcore genre, some would call them early classics, you know, in their own right because simply put without these matches, you wouldn't see TLC matches no hardcore title matches and no numerous ECW tag teams such as, you know, the public enemy, the gangsters, the pit bulls. You know, they would be unable to wrestle a type of match that disguises their weaknesses in the ring. This really set the template, especially in world championship wrestling. If you think ECW brawls are cool. Go check out these matches. It's definitely made it separate from the other matches on the card. It changed the flow of the show. And if you were to blink twice, you would think Paul Heyman was in charge of WSW rather than Eric Bischoff. Between the Nasty Boys feuding with Mick Foley, a.k.a. Cactus Jack. I know myself as a fan watching this. It just caught my eye because it was different. You weren't seeing WCW wrestlers battle in in the in the crowd in the stands, you know, and it gave it that edge. And it was a precursor to the revolution that ECW drew. Yes, try to ignore the the chair shots, the direct head shots. It's still it's cringeworthy, especially today with all we know with concussions, etc. But the style was different you know if you're a wrestling purist it may not be your cup of tea especially being a WSW fan where the in-ring product was high and the quote unquote entertainment value wasn't as so focused on as with the World Wrestling Federation but these hardcore style matches definitely set this genre apart in world championship wrestling
2: field for the next couple of weeks. Somebody's going to the hospital, Shavala. is down,
3: Max is down, Sags is down, Cactus Jack has the table, and he's not gonna play cards. Oh.
4: My God. You think Michael Jordan is thinking about becoming a wrestler? No.
1: Anderson says goodbye to the squared circle. Double A did not deserve the ending he received in his career and did not deserve to be injured or have his wrestling career cut so very short. He was a phenomenal promo man and a phenomenal wrestler inside the squared circle. An old school technician and a man you want to look at as an inspiration and a man that could turn young guns into high-caliber athletes making statements. Just by entering the ring with Double A, it upped the game of any competitor that he would face or team up with. Arn Anderson could still be wrestling in tag matches with Flair as he was that good and still would be good, I think, to this very day if he didn't have his injury. But... An accident and wear and tear in his body caused him to have back surgery, which prevented all those thoughts and dreams of having double A wrestle later on in life, especially helping out the new era of superstars, really, as the attitude era was. Getting into full swing, we missed AA at the high point of the Attitude Era and then leading into the 2000s, especially when WWE slash F purchased WCW. AA, like we all know, is still a backstage producer for the organization. But what would it have been like if he was able to once again compete inside the squared circle with such young talents? Unfortunately, from the surgery, his vertebrae was fused. His fifth, sixth, and seventh vertebrae, respectively, thus ending his career. It had gotten so bad that four vertebrae had to be removed. It caused paralysis in his left hand and became so weak, he couldn't even change channels with his remote. It was heartbreaking from a guy that loved the business for wrestling as opposed to others that loved it for the money. It became even more so during his retirement speech. In late 1997, declaring his resignation from the horseman, he gave a sad story of a man that innocently slapped him on the back when he was in pain one day coming from the gym. He said that regardless if they had hated or loved him, the audience knew that he gave his all and everything he had and showed was for the Four Horsemen. He showed that Four Horsemen sign as a token of appreciation from those that respected him. Claimed that any fan that would show those four fingers meant the world to him, and he felt the respect from his fellow fan. He relinquished his spot, now we'll say quote-unquote spot, which I'll mention why in just a bit, from the Four Horsemen, and gave it to Kurt Henning, who declared it would be an honor. It was moments like this that really made you feel good May, you know, it, you're proud to be a wrestling fan these are the moments you don't mind showing your spouse significant other or friend that this is why you're a wrestling fan because it was emotional regardless of how polluted the morale is in WWE or in the industry in general these are one of the pure moments in the business and despite what was to come which Henning turned his back on the horseman at Fall Brawl in 1997 and basically threw away all the whole speech and the whole emotional tie with Henning and the Horseman and AA. The fact that it still sticks into our minds to this very day will forever be a moment that is considered to be one of the greatest in WCW history from the eventual parody of the NWO making fun of arn anderson in his retirement speech which some thought was funny by kevin ashe others thought it was disrespectful and then from the storyline of you thought kurt henning which i thought would be a perfect fit to be a horseman to team with flair and company and really take the spot of arn anderson he was given arn anderson's enforcer spot in the company and I thought instead of just throwing him in the NWO as what they were doing with all WWF superstars or X stars, he had a different spot. It fit he had double A spot. Nevertheless, they pulled the swerve and he joined the NWO. The parody ensued with double A. And really it took some of the lust, some of the luster, some of the importance, some of the seriousness and the emotion away from that promo from from Arn Anderson. And what also made it even more special was in the background, whether it was intentional or not, just so happened that Ric Flair was right behind him, moving back and forth, you know, being emotional as well. You saw Flair could not sit still, as his eyes started to water, that the tears came down, seeing the emotion of Flair behind Anderson, as Anderson gave the speech, and it was it was, for me, it was poetic. So symbolic as typically throughout Arn Anderson's career, he was the he was the man behind Ric Flair. He was the enforcer, enforcing the horseman and enforcing the nature boy Ric Flair. He always had Flair's back. So he was the one that was behind the Nature Boy. And at this point, Arn Anderson had the spotlight, and he was in front of the Nature Boy, declaring his retirement in professional wrestling. From that point on, the last time we would see Arn Anderson ever perform a move inside the ring was at WrestleMania 18, in which he performed a spine buster on The Undertaker. Nevertheless, this moment, this speech, will go down as one of the greatest segments, interviews, moments in WCW history.
5: It's a pleasure to hold the microphone, Mr. Anderson, up for you on this occasion. Well, Gene, all I can tell you to get a response like this means what I got to say tonight mean that much more. You see, I'm a realist and everybody knows I've got average size and speed and average ability, but I've parlayed that into what I would call a very successful career. And I did that on sheer will alone. But another reality is, four months ago, they took four vertebrae out of my neck. Consequently, I'm left with a hand, my left hand, too weak to hold a glass, too weak to button a button. But I thought in my mind, I knew in my mind I could overcome that too, through sheer will. And I was doing just like that. I think I've come back a long way. But the other day, I had something happen in the gym that was like a cold slap in the face of reality. A guy about your size, Gene, came up and he slapped me on the back and he said, Double A, where you been? We hadn't seen you on TV. And just that slap sent a jolt through me and I dropped the water I was drinking. And just for a second, my system shut down and it became crystal clear as I watched the few little drops of water draining out of that bottle the symbolism that was involved. It was like someone had turned an hourglass over and the sand was running out on the career of Arn Anderson. Now the fact of the matter is, not only do I put myself in a suicide situation by trying to wrestle again, I endanger these two men's careers and I respect them too much for that. And other than be anything than the enforcer In my best friend's eyes, I'd rather walk away. And for all you people out there that have ever bought a ticket to see Arn Anderson wrestle, whether you love me, or you hated me, you knew that when that bell rang, you got all I had that night. Whether I won, whether I lost, I gave you everything I had. And you knew that. And when you did this to me, that was your acknowledgement. Well, the fact is, I got nothing left to give. And I want you to remember me as I was, not as I am. But being the man that I am, my last act, formerly as a horseman, I got one last challenge. And that's to you, Kurt Henning. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's not for a fight. You got something special. I've seen you in this ring. Your skills, your maturity, your commitment to excellence makes you something special. And what my challenge is to you, Kurt, is stand beside my best friend, Ric Flair, and lead these two men back to the glory and the prominence that the four horsemen once had And I'm gonna tell you what your prize is. It's not a spot with the horseman, because this is worth a lot more than that to me. I'm gonna give you the only thing I got left. Not a spot, not a spot. I'll give you my spot. Kurt Henning.
6: You know, I know every wrestler has ever been around or involved in this business we call wrestling who would pass up the honor to not only be a horseman, but to come out and take Arn Anderson's spot as the enforcer of the Four Horsemen? I have only one thing to say it would be a privilege.
1: Brian Pillman respects Kevin Sullivan. Many gimmicks drew the ire and intrigue from many wrestling fans, but few were as controversial. As Brian Pillman's loose cannon gimmick. Strange, unpredictable, and uncontrollable, the loose cannon Brian Pillman set the wrestling world on fire with a series of work shoots that blur the distinctions of reality and fiction. One of the most notorious worked shoot incidents took place at Super Brawl 6. In 1996, as Pillman faced Kevin Sullivan in an I respect you strap match. The only way to end the match and win become victorious was for a wrestler to force his opponent to say I respect you. Similar to an I quit match. Sullivan could not have predicted Pillman's actions that night. Flying Brian took the mic and told Sullivan to his face. I respect you booker man and left the ring this gained notoriety because kevin sullivan was a booker at the time and the internet had yet to achieve exposure and popularity therefore this was the underground part of professional wrestling being shown on national pay-per-view television
3: oh there Well, I too, I told you, it's just gonna be Katie by the door right here. I don't know how they gonna get him strapped up, but they are really going at it. Whoa, baby! Flying Bryant trying as all he can to whip Kevin Sullivan, who's just hanging on to it. Kevin Sullivan's chewing his ankle off. This is a Donnie Brook. Yeah, a uh, Donnie Brook is right, and he has got that strap, and he is raking him around the eyes, and, oh, man, let me tell you. Respect is the name of the game, in this one right here at Super Brawl 6. Ladies and gentlemen, we haven't seen anything like this in a long time. Oh, oh, Solomon hit him right in the jaw. He hit him right in the jaw and almost knocked him out. And now he kicks him into the solar plexus, and they're not even thinking about a leather strap right now. Jimmy Jett has a wireless microphone. And... I don't think this is what Aretha Franklin meant. I respect you,
0: Booker Man.
3: Oh, he said, I respect you. I respect you. And he walked. And he walked out. And he walked. He said, I respect you, and he walked out. Wow. So Kevin Sullivan, the Taskmaster, will win it. But I mean, for about 45 seconds, we had the darndest fight we'd ever seen. Arn Anderson. Arn Anderson, who is not even scheduled on the card. Was but you know, the, he been been like he's been out
7: on the golf course. He was on
3: the golf course today with me. Well, you know, when Ric Flair is around, Arn Anderson, the unfortunate, is going to be around. So Arn Anderson comes out, and we've got a little problem
1: here. Another infamous event that took place at an episode of Clash of the Champions when Pillman tortured color commentator Bobby the Brain Heenan by... grabbing him around the collar thus the brain shout out an obscenity which is one in my opinion one of the funniest moments in professional wrestling history but it was that loose cannon gimmick that pillman was displaying no one knew what he was going to do because his loose cannon gimmick was becoming so effective brian adopted it to backstage as well confusing wrestlers and fans alike it worked so much that bischoff even fired pillman so that he could go to develop the gimmick in other promotions. Whether Pillman's objective was to go to the WWF or not, he sold Eric Bischoff on making the storyline a reality. Unfortunately for Bischoff, Pillman had no intention, some really thought, of returning to WSW. I think Pillman was playing both fields. I think he wanted to move over, move on to ECW and the WWF, especially the World Wrestling Federation, uh, but also wanted to keep the door open for WSW in case it didn't work out. Kind of his feet in in every spot he could to block the, the door from closing, which I don't blame him. It was a smart move to do. And despite all this, you know, Pillman's loose cannon gimmick was important in showing how WHW is willing to push the envelope at a time in an era where there was Doink the Clown, you know, Duke the Dumpster Drossy. and the evil foreigners, Ludwig Borga, etc., the loose cannon gimmick was different. It was reality, and no one saw it before, and Brian Pillman made it work. And it was the moment from the I Quit Strap Match when he yelled out, I quit, Booker Man, that perked the ears of the future internet wrestling fan.
8: Brian and I were pretty good friends. And I used to say to them, you know, you're really intense, you're really intense. As a heel, Brian, Brian was the Sluice Cannon character that he played was more like Brian. I used to hate the f- flying Brian gimmick. Hey, you know, with that raspy voice of his, and you know, try to be a baby face. Even though he's a good-looking guy, he should have been a heel. Because Brian was a heel at heart. Not a bad guy, but I mean a heel at heart. Some performers should be a heel, so he should have been a heel. And one time we were talking, I said, you know, sometimes, the, you know, people will buy anything. I used to tell them about some of the guys in the dressing room years ago, when. I spit no don't put it across to me he said do you think what do you think and we started talking i said if the guys buy it everybody buys it and then when brian and i worked that match the pay-per-view i had guys from the wwf tell me they bought it just to see me and brian fight you know brian was and we we, we kept it and brian's and brian initiated it i mean there was one that really put it over the edge eric called a, a meeting of all the talent in disney you know, that's what he used to do and he was given the guidelines <laughs> Of what the guys can do and what can't do because they're universal, and Brian came in late first of all, so that was right up everybody's ass.
3: So Bischoff wasn't in on it, right? Yeah,
8: he was. Okay. Because yeah. I couldn't have done that without him. Right. So Brian came in late, so he's the only guy coming late, so it pisses everybody off. And as Eric's talking about the, what can be done and what can't be done, you know, the guys are always murmuring. You know, when there's a bunch of people like that, Brian yelled out, "Well, does that go for the Bugaboo Man too?" <laughs> and he put it here to pin drop, and Eric just looked at Brian like, you know, you fucking idiot. I turned around and looked at me went, like this to me, you know. And he looked like he was half the bag, he went, you know, like. And I had more guys. It was a funny thing. I had more guys come up trying to suck up to me, you know, and say, oh. I can't stand that building. You should knock on his ass. He's such a smartest motherfucker. And I'd call Brian and he'd say to me, They'd say the exact same thing to me. And those (laughs) fuckers, you know, the same guys told me that he was no good were telling him I was no good. That's great. Yeah. Was there any heat with Bobby Heenan, the management after the incident with uh (laughs) Brian and Bobby? No, but I'm sure Bobby hated it. I mean that was another thing Brian did to put it over the top. I mean, Bobby say fuck on TV. Right. I mean, you know, if he, he, you thought he was out of his mind. And the announcers put it over because they're afraid of death, right? And Tony finally had a broken neck. So anytime he rolled up, came anywhere, close to they're taking their <laughs> mics off. So if you're in a building and these fucking guys are sitting there for two hours with their headsets on and haven't moved, and then this one fucking guy just takes a bump and they take the headsets off and move back, what do you think that whole 20,000 people think? All right, all right. This guy's real. Do you ever regret working the boys during this time? Yeah, I do. I do because I think, you know, I, I, here's the thing. I do regret working the boys, but at the situation it is, it wasn't just, if it was just the boys, we could have done the angle. But it was the announcing team, the production team, everybody was smarting. all the guys, you know, right. they'd say, we had people that were, I had this one girl who used to drive me crazy. I had, wherever the building was, I'd have a my own room, or like at Universal, I had my own little uh, a trailer with a, my monitor in there. And I would bring guys in for finishes, and she was in the production, and, no, and she would wait until the main event finish, the guys get in there, or Brian, or, or somebody on top, and she'd walk in and say, oh, I, I gotta fix your headset. Well, she had to fix it every night when the guys came, you know, the main event was coming in or something. You know, it used to piss me off, but, you know, I couldn't do anything because Turner policies. I couldn't tell her, like, get the fuck out of here, you know. Because I was corporate, uh, do I? My, yeah, I. Because I was working with some of my friends, but some of my friends, were, I think, were picking up on the the end of it and saying, huh. "Did
3: you and Brian ever
8: have to work Eric at all?" on Eric and Brian were closer than than Kevin and Eric, so I don't know how much. I I didn't let Eric know as much as Brian let Eric know because they were much closer. Right. they were friends. I wasn't friendly. Now, what kind of arrangement was made between ecw and uh wcw for brian to work there uh i'm sh- paulie knew it right. paulie was I, I at this period i we got together brian and i and i said this ain't gonna float if you don't get the, you get away from here you know what i mean there's gonna say you know it's causing shit. like i said guys coming up to brian on one side saying oh hope you kick the shit out of him guys coming up to me saying hope you kick the shit out of him and Paul, e. was the only guy I could trust. So, I mean, that, that that was a real strange relationship. So he was
3: still under contract with WCW when he yeah, was there. Yeah, And the idea was to bring him back when everything settled down?
8: Yeah. So here, here's the thing. That was funny. Here's the thing. People always talk about WCW, fucking ECW and all this. Imagine what they would have done if, if I wasn't there to stop, be the stopgate. I actually sent the piece of talent that was supposedly fired from WCW to work for Paul, and I knew that Paul would keep his mouth shut. That's a pretty pretty strange lesson in history for wrestling to, that I was that close to Paul that I could say do me a favor and that he was that close to me that I would pick up the phone and say because my job was to just to take talent where I said you better get you better prepare yourself.
1: Did you ever clash with anybody else in WCW management and be yeah. Hold on, Yeah. Is I used
8: to make them hold on. Like everyone would say fucking get him now nah, I don't give a fuck I hate Paul Heyman I said fuck you he's a friend of mine I'm not going to take the fucking guy's talent until they're through.
3: No. How did it work out that he wound up leaving the company and not staying?
8: He worked Eric. He was the smartest guy I ever saw work Eric. At the time, Brian wanted to go to New York. He really wanted to go to New York. I think he wanted to break free, and I think he wanted a new start, and I think that he thought, no matter what, uh... I think he felt comfortable with me in my position with him, but he, we had seen so much turmoil in WCW. How, how He didn't know if I was going to be there another two hours, never mind another two weeks. With going to the WWF, he knew Vince was the only guy to deal with. He knew Vince would uh, accept his talents and accept his credibility, which he did. And I said this the other day, someone asked me in the Miami Herald. I think he would have changed the wrestling business. Brian, had, I, I don't know if you know the idea Brian wanted to do in a Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Yeah. It's the greatest idea I ever heard. I wanted to do with him. You know, I said, I'll come down with you. you know, Because I want to steal some of the limelight. Huh. That was the best idea I ever heard. Brian was by far one of the most advanced thinkers in the wrestling business. But I, it was good for Brian to go to the WWF because I don't think... I think if he came back the politics were getting so heavy that some people would have tried to rub off on Brian, you know, sh- taking some of the shine off of Brian for their own good and got, maybe gotten him and but. Anybody in particular? Or? Well, there was a lot of people that knew that this kid guy was getting over, and, he, and, and our business is a business, one of survival, you know, people say, well, you know, I don't know a guy who did that. Well, you're not in that guy's position, so it's it's hard for to me to make judgment on anybody. But, uh, Brian really, you know, he, and I think he saw what Cactus did up there, you know, and he saw what Austin had done. So he needed that break. He needed to get away. And I was glad to see him go. I, I, glad as a friend, but really bad for a talent and a talent coordinator. I didn't want him to leave, though, but I knew it was going to happen.
3: And he also came back to one night, it was Nitro, when he did the thing with the 900 sign. In the yeah.
8: Crowd. And that was, it was basically just part of it. Well, what happened was... Uh, I think he worked Eric to a bidding war. I can't be sure, <laughs> and he kept the Eric said, yeah. And then finally, he Brian was so smart, and they were so close. He went to Eric and said, let me try this, and let me go. I want to give it a year's try. And Eric said, yeah, the door will be, always be open. It was almost like his relationship with Eric was sort of like my balls.
1: The horsepin turn on the man called sting no one expected it to come because some thought this was years in the making matches in the making and it happened rather quickly in terms of when sting actually first joined the horsemen sting became the fourth member of the illustrious group the group that he had feuded with and had a Extensive, grueling, historic battles with the Nature Boy Ric Flair and Company. The Stinger finally joined the Four Horsemen. And some thought it was a match made in heaven, but some thought it wasn't really a great fit. The latter proved to be correct as Ric Flair and Company turned their backs, and once again Sting found himself becoming a foe of the legendary group.
9: There you see the old fucker in the ring right there.
6: Hello!
2: that there's two things that's going to be hard to beat in 1990. One of them is World Championship Wrestling because it's here to stay. And the other one is the horseman. All four of them. Ric Flair,
4: Sting, Foley, and Arn Anderson. Here they are. Come on out, guys.
9: There they are, ladies and gentlemen. Rick Flair on your left, the world's heavyweight champion. Sting, Arn Anderson, Holy Anderson, the four horsemen. The most physical entourage in the sport today. Whether you like them or whether you don't like them, you've got to say the four greatest individual wrestlers right now in the world. Four very diverse dressing styles as well. Flair's in a $10,000 suit. Sting's in a Western outfit. Arn's the casual look and only... Well, he looks like johnny cash he's won the johnny cash award for the man dressed in black the horsemen are so physical but they are the elite group in our sport and now let's go back down to terry funk you know
2: i want to say one thing that you four men are tough and tough is an attitude i like to think that i
5: have that attitude but i know that you horsemen have it I know that you have it, Oli. Let me ask you a question. You want to just do something and hang
6: on that microphone, or you want me to hang
4: on to it? Let me just say one thing, Terry. When we have an opportunity to get together on national television, we always make a statement. And tonight, once again, the horsemen are going to make a statement. And on behalf of the horsemen, the spokesman, Ole Anderson, has a few words.
6: We want to make sure that everybody all around the country has an opportunity to hear what I'm about to say. And I want you in particular to pay attention to it, Sting, because you're the reason we're here tonight. I want you to know you're not going to be a horseman anymore. It's over. No more horsemen for the state. Yeah, don't close your mouth a second. I'm going to explain something to you. I want everybody to listen real close and you listen real close. When Rick called me and called Arne to come in here, it was for one reason. And the reason he called us in here was to get rid of you. Well, I tell you, now just be quiet. There's, there's three of us standing here and there's one of you. Just wait a second. One thing that nobody looked for and nobody could figure was when you jumped in and helped Rick against this guy. We held off. A little later, in the Iron Man Contest, we came in that ring and we were ready to stick your head in the sand again. And as we came through the ring, Rick gave us this, pay attention. Rick gave us that sign and waved us off. You were spared for the second time. And then something that nobody would have ever dreamed could happen, happened when you became one of us, a horseman, and you were a good horseman, no argument about it. You're a great wrestler, you're a tough, strong kid, but you did the one unforgivable thing that we can never forget. You know what that was? when you signed that match to meet rick flair for the world title on february twenty fifth you signed your death warrant are oh, you listen now i'm going to tell you what i said to rick we all agreed we should just stop you right now but rick says no no Now, he helped me one time we let him live one time but on one condition and the condition is this you go to the promoter you go to Mr. Jim Ross or whoever you gotta to talk to and you tell him that you're gonna cancel that contract with this man. Wait a minute! Get over here, not You just you're listen. you too far. No, you listen to me. You listen real good. Anybody, even a blind man, can see there's three of us and there's only one of you. We're gonna spare your life. You got about two hours to make up your mind what you're going to do. And I'm telling you right now, it's only because of his nice kindness that we're going to let you live right here. Two hours, you make up your mind, you go tell Ross, you tell everybody in the world on this national TV, that you're going to give up that chance at the world title. You understand?
4: Not a chance. Sting, I bought you a little time a because oh, of oh. what
6: you've Nah, done. you're too easy. The whole deal is this, you got two hours to make up your mind, and you're no longer a horseman, and if we ever see you again, you're not gonna be quite so lucky well, as you know, are wait tonight. Wait
9: a minute, wait a oh, minute, this no, doesn't no. make sense.
4: Hey, wait a minute. I wanna, Come on. Look at this. I tried to tell you. I want you some time. Now do the smart thing. Get out of this business. Get rid of that contract. Get out of my life. Get out. No.
9: I cannot believe this. This is the greatest thing oh. I've ever seen in no. my life.
4: Get out of it. Oh.
9: This is pathetic. Ric Flair. Absolutely pathetic. He gave the guy a chance. Well, he gave the guy a chance. Yeah, you're a big chance. Fans. We're gonna, we'll be right back. This continues live. Don't go away.
1: We'll be right back. Now, this one may not be a greatest gem, I think it was great in terms of how different it was for its time and I like these storylines these type of gimmicks. That's why I love The Velveteen Dream in this modern day era of professional wrestling. That's why I love Gold Dust, I love Billy and Chuck. So this one you could put into the category of a hidden gem of world championship wrestling. If you disagree, send me a message. Again, these we're not documenting it every moment, every gem. These are just some that set WCW apart. And that is Lenny and Lodi, brothers, friends, teammates, partners. Move over Billy and Chuck and meet the original ambiguously gay duo. The odd team of Lenny, Lenny Lane and Brad Kane, which was Lodi, had teamed before and were even deemed as brothers. But none of their uh, none of their team gimmicks were as successful and eyebrow raising as the West. Hollywood Blondes, a takeoff of the original Hollywood Blondes, Lenny and Lodi were a controversial tag team even by the Attitude Era stand. They would be seen wearing glitter, you know, licking licking lollipops, donning long blonde hair, performing feminine ta- taunts like you know the talk to the hand gesture, etc. You know, showing signs like Lenny all over me, and because Lodi's gimmick was showing signs. Which was his popularity in the flock with Raven? You know, they also were hugging each other. The double team moves were questionable, to say the least. You know, check out the the crossbody suplex combination. Uh, some thought Lenny Lane had a similar look to Chris Jericho. This was something that no one from either the WWF or WSW had attempted before. Yes, you know, Goldust was years prior, and that really set the standard of that type of genre of gimmick you could say but it wasn't really a tag team duo done before there weren't two gold dust paired together it was gold against a razor ramon or a savio vega etc that caused the one-on-one feud but really it was different for the time for a combo of of two friends brothers etc teaming up in that type of gimmick You know, this was something that either, like I said, WWF and WSW had really attempted as a combination of tag teams. You know, this is from two companies who made fun of corporations, religions, you know, people that passed away, you know, foreign countries. All that was done, and this was really the first time a tag team duo were playing off of each other. No pun intended. You know, that's what made the gimmick really work. I think it made it different. It may have been controversial, but it was fresh. And it garnered some some strong heat for the team. It worked so much that it would have you believe that the two men were actually in love with each other in real life. They, they, they performed it so well. It was a fun moment for several months, you know, and a fun storyline angle team for a little while until Ted Turner's standards and practices came in to completely overhaul the, the, the format of the product and the controversial ends of... Of the promotion and they really stopped Lenny and Lodi in its tracks and unfortunately Lenny and Lodi would never really reach the height not to say they reached a huge high height of success but never really went back to to the level of popularity or notoriety really I should say as they did when they first teamed together quite possibly if they were in the WWF slash E you know maybe the team would work you know, and with Vince McMahon in control of it it was different to me it's a hidden gem just for the comedic and entertainment value but you can disagree with me but one of the hidden gems in the late 90s era of WWF for me was Lenny and Lodi oh my
5: goodness oh my gosh this is the best present ever I knew you'd love them Lenny hey it's your favorite colors I know I don't need to try them on you know
1: all my measurements Lenny I know every inch of you Look, I know you're still nervous about last week when we talked
8: about WCW is not going to mind when they find out. Well, I know
3: I can't lie to you. You know me like a book. I've read every page. Trust me, Lenny. They're open-minded. They're not going to care. If you tell me to trust you, then trust you, I
1: will. Goldberg goes for gold. Bill Goldberg was promoted as an unstoppable monster that squashed opponents in his path. It's easy to judge his ego and somewhat sloppy wrestling skills, as many fans have done multiple times throughout his career. He was limited, but did the best with what he had to work with. That's that's how I figure it. But there was no dismissing the fan reaction he would receive each time. And WSW for once did not mess up this one at least at first, throughout the main portion of his career. There are some questionable decisions later on with the use of Goldberg. But the climax of Goldberg's popularity took place in the Georgia Dome in Atlanta, where he challenged Hollywood Hogan for the world title. After beating Scott Hall, one of the hottest crowds in history, these fans wanted nothing more. And to see Hogan lose his title and just go away. They wanted Goldberg to be the man. The match was not great, but the fans made it an unforgettable event. And when Goldberg pinned Hogan clean, one, two, three with a jackhammer, the audience erupted in a frenzy, the likes of which we had not seen since, arguably in WCW since, Nature Boy Ric Flair, his peak Sting, the rivalry the rivalries with Sting Dusty Rhodes, and even Hulk Hogan when he was the Hulkamania gimmick, I don't receive I don't think received that type of ovation in WCW when he defeated Ric Flair for his first WCW title. Goldberg was the man he was made that night, and it will go down as one of the greatest moments in WCW history not the greatest match it was simple to the point a lot of people feel this was hot shotted because the WWF was starting to surpass WCW in the ratings war This angle was suggested by Hulk Hogan, as we found out. And Bill Bill Goldberg himself found out at home watching an episode of Thunder that he was going to face Hulk Hogan that Monday night on Nitro in the Georgia Dome, nevertheless, for the WCW title. Of course, WCW won the ratings war that night, but ultimately, it may have hurt them in the long run, as this could have led up to a pay per view bout with weeks of storylines building up, possibly leading to weeks of ratings victories over the WWF. But they shotted it. It worked out at the moment but long term really did it but for Goldberg's career he was made that night and became the man and WCW world champion
2: well, Goldberg knows right now what he's in there with what he's heard about his whole life how tough this man Hogan can be what this man's capable of doing and he knows right now firsthand what Hogan's all about
3: comes a time in every great athlete's career where you gotta dig down deep where you gotta suck it up where you gotta prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that you belong here. For Goldberg, the time is right now because the champ is leveling with everything. Hogan with those patented leg drops has delivered to and Here comes Kurt Hennig to ringside.
4: Him off, finish him off! He's calling for it. This is it. This is it. Your career's on the line here. Do it. Do it. His place will erupt when he picks him up. He's got him up. Oh! defeated man in the history of this sport to ever win the world championship. And everyone was good, 107, 108, who cares? We're sitting on the other side. We've got a new champion. Listen to this.
1: The night that the Monday Night War became ravishing as Rick Rude defied space and time as he pulled double duty, appearing both on Monday Night Raw and WCW Monday Nitro on the very same night. In the aftermath of the Montreal job, many 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 people feared the worst for the World Wrestling Federation. Backstage morale was at an all-time low, and everyone predicted possibly the death of Vince McMahon's company. Screwing one of your top stars, if not your top star, out of a championship title, not just that, but lying to him and then pulling a different finish out and screwing him in front of his hometown fans. How would that react on the boys in the back? With that in mind, WSW took this opportunity to verbally Barry and heckle the WWF in every single method. Rather, it's Eric Bischoff coming out and whether, you know, whether it was Eric Bischoff coming out and cutting promos on how WCW scored a better rating or signing Bret Hart to a $3 million contract to shove, shove it right in Vince's face or sending messages through the headset through Tony Schiavone as he poked jabs and made fun or ridiculed the World Wrestling Federation. While that didn't work, one controversial event that saw WWE try to make a point was in the late, great, ravishing Rick Rude appearing on both Raw and Nitro simultaneously. Raw was still taped in advance in the aftermath of the Montreal Screwjob, where Rick Rude introduced then his stablemate, in degeneration x then weeks later rick root showed up on nitro with the nwo and publicly declared vince mcmahon's actions at survivor series as wrong and unjustifiable it was one of the last shocking moments during the NWO era in WCW. Quite frankly, no one expected this to happen. Since Raw was on the tape uh, of the bi-weekly live taping schedule, there were weeks where Nitro would go ahead against a taped version of Raw. Rick Rude at the time was with the World Wrestling Federation, but he did not sign a contract with them. He showed up to, be, to join and become a part of D-Generation X, comprised of... Shawn Michaels, Triple H, and China. It was the w, the WWS version of the New World Order, in a way. Keeping the click alive between both brands, the NWO and DX. Rick Rude was the bodyguard, the muscle, you could say, behind DX, with briefcase in hand, beard in toe, introducing DX to the ring multiple weeks on Raw. But what happened at the Montreal Screwjob did not sit well with Rick Rude, to say the least. McFoley, especially, was, was one of the people that w- were very verbal- And how upset they were about the results of the Montreal screw job at the Survivor Series between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. A lot of boys came to the defense of the hitman, saying that it was unjustifiable. And Rick Rude took it to the WWF and decided to leave, mainly because of the occurrence at that very night in Montreal. And Packed up his things and signed a contract now with WCW. And Bischoff knew exactly what to do to show up or to have Rick Rude show up on Nitro the same night he would be on WWF television. So just minutes prior, you could watch Rick Rude involved in a toilet papering angle. On Raw, you flip the channel and you see ravishing Rick Rude show up clean shaven on Monday Nitro. The bearded version on Raw, which was pre-taped weeks prior, and the clean-shaven version of Rick Rude on the live edition of Monday Nitro. No one would ever predicted this would happen, and this will go down as one of the greatest moments in WCW history.
7: Rick Root appeared on both uh, Raw and Nitro on uh, November the 17th and uh, the uh, it certainly surprised us to a to, uh, uh, significant degree because uh, Vince and I had been having ongoing conversations with Rick uh, about a new contract and extending his current working agreement. Uh, we thought we had come to an understanding and were under the impression from talking with him that we had come to an understanding uh, and was in process of executing the paperwork. Uh, his contract at that time was a short-term contract and had lapsed so we thought we had the contract extended per our conversations with Rick and then uh, on uh, a tape version of RAW he was included and uh, then he appeared the same on the same night on a live edition of Nitro. So it was a uh, a little surprising because we thought we had a deal with him.
2: 24 little hours. You know, and we all have our 15 minutes of fame. And I'd like to take a couple of my 15 minutes to talk about the rights and the wrongs in the world of professional wrestling. What's wrong in the world of professional wrestling is Shawn Michaels claiming to be world champion when he never beat Bret Hart. What's wrong with the world of professional wrestling is for Vince McMahon to instruct a referee to ring the bell in order to rob Bret Hart of his title. But on the other hand, what's right in the world of professional wrestling is for Bret Hart to abandon the Titanic and swim to the refuge of the NWO.
1: The fans asked for it. We want flair. Despite the back injuries he had, the criticism of being past his prime and the formulaic moveset today, there is no denying that the Nature Boy was still the man. Even as the most hated heel in a company didn't distract him and didn't distract the respect and admiration from many fans and wrestlers in what he brought. In the ring or on the mic. That level of respect helped Flair survive the worst moments of his professional life as well as some colossal blunders made by WCW. Case in point was at the Great American Bash of 1991, where Flair was supposed to drop the title to Lex Luger, but was fired by Jim Herd. It pissed off the crowd so much that during the horrible pay-per-view where Barry Windham became Flair's replacement, the audience screamed, We want Flair! We want Flair! Thus not caring about the match at all, that was taking place but wanting to see the most hated heel in the company the announcers tried to dodge these chants throughout the entire year but the crowd was so obsessed in wanting him to return that wcw had no other choice but to bring back the nature boy after rick flair decided to stop working for the world wrestling federation at the time we want flair became commonplace
9: Welcome
4: calling himself the world champion. Well, isn't that a piece of cake when the real whoo, When the real world champion decides to take off his coat, to take off his Rolex watch, and to walk that long immortal out one more time. You, Tony Schiavone, and all of WWW will say to be the man. You have to beat the man, and to you, Big Van Vader, One more line. Being the man and staying the man are two different things. In 1998,
1: fast forward five years after Eric Bischoff sued Ric Flair and tried to get him to file for bankruptcy whenever Bischoff was out inside the arena, inside the squared circle, anywhere on television within the crowd. The audience were so hostile that they chanted the same sentence in every WCW pay-per-view, live event, TV taping. We want flair. Finally, before it took place, the Nature Boy made his return in September of 1998 to a deafening roar. Despite what the management says in trying to rid us Of the nature boy as long as fans chant his name from the top of their lungs there is no way that the nature boy would ever go away from wcw and he would stay with the organization till the final night the very last monday nitro in which he took on his iconic rival sting two different points in his career where he was pushed out in 91 then taking the big gold belt with him to the World Wrestling Federation. Him hating Jim Hurd. And then coming back, being asked back, wanted back by WCW. A year later, back into the company in 1993. Fast forward five years later, Eric Bischoff wanting to bankrupt the nature of Boy Ric Flair. Him being pushed off of television, not used properly. The fans once again Wanted flair, WCW and brick flair were synonymous with each other. But that moment when he returned in September of '98 on Nitro, that speech, the reunion of the horsemen led by Arn Anderson, bringing out the members of the horsemen, including James J. Dillon, then calling out the Nature Boy himself, it was so fitting. And what we discussed in the earlier edition about Arn Anderson's retirement speech being so special. You fast forward to now Arn Anderson being to repay that favor over introducing the Nature Boy back to World Championship Wrestling. The classic line, fire me, I'm already fired, will always be remembered by us fans during that era. One of the greatest moments ever. I know I've been saying that a lot in this edition. We're discussing the greatest gems, but one of the greatest pure moments, shoot moments in WCW history.
4: Just like the night in Columbia, South Carolina, when you looked at me, tears in my eyes, and said, God, that's good TV. Defend the horseman. Me. You know what? I looked at myself in the mirror the next day, and I saw a pathetic.
1: Another one of my personal favorites, really when the NWO got started and was able to take hold of World Championship Wrestling, Rey Mysterio became a human dart. This was really one of not just my favorite NWO moments, but my favorite WWE moments in general. It occurred on one Monday Night Nitro, on one evening, when the Outsiders were attacking Arn Anderson, the American Males, and Rey Mysterio outside the building. This is where, out of nowhere, they would cut from a match or at the end of a match to the backstage, and the NW would be causing chaos, beating up anyone from WCW. The highlight was when Mysterio was going for a crossbody, jumping basically off of a trailer, but Nash caught him and threw him head first into a wall like a dart. This was so shocking that some people thought that this was actually a legitimate fight and the police were called. The cops arrived thinking a riot was happening backstage. At the time, the NWO were becoming the hottest thing in wrestling, and this moment shows why that was the case. And Larry Zbysko's quote fit perfectly. He threw him like a dart. One of my favorite just for... The visual factor, and for the sure fact, it was so funny. Rey Mysterio, the human dart. One of the most heated rivalries in world championship wrestling was none other than Chris Benoit versus Kevin Sullivan. Perhaps no other feud captured as much hatred and intensity from in and out of the ring than Benoit, representative of the Four Horsemen, versus Sullivan. Chris Benoit versus Kevin Sullivan, the representative of the Dungeon of Doom. Sullivan, who was the pri- who was then the primary Booker, decided to push himself into a feud with Benoit with a one-side issue that Benoit was having an affair with Kevin's wife Nancy. Life imitated art, however, Benoit was actually indeed having an affair with with Kevin's wife. Now, we have to put aside it as well, what happened in the future with them. We're looking at this as, a, as just a pure wrestling angle and real-life storyline between the two, but just that moment in time between both competitors. The tensions between these two were so thick that you could cut it with the proverbial knife. At around the same time in storyline, Pillman had left the Horseman due to the I respect you Booker" man uh, issue with Kevin Sullivan as we discussed in an earlier uh, gem from WSW, and Sullivan, then called the Taskmaster, no relation to the ill-fated Shockmaster, I may add, tried to recruit Arn Anderson to be a member of his unforgettable Dungeon of Doom stable. Benoit took Pillman's place in the Horsemen and had a succession of brawls between himself and the Taskmaster. Their greatest bout took place At the Great American Bash of 1996, in a Falls Count Anywhere bout, Benoit and Sullivan hammered each other all throughout the crowd, near the entrance and in the male restroom. The line, Dusty Rhodes said, was perfect. There's a lady in the men's bathroom, if you will. There was uh, where they would bash each other in commodes and in bathroom doors. Back out, Benoit and Sullivan attempted to put themselves through a table that doesn't break. In the end, Benoit wins with a top rope superplex with the table used as a platform. But what follows is a classic moment. Benoit beats down Sullivan and Arn Anderson tries to stop him. Instead, Arn and Benoit team together to pound the taskmaster that blows the roof off the building, the horsemen ride again, an incredible bout, an unforgettable post-match moment, and the best match Kevin Sullivan will ever be in, some would say that didn't involve McFoley, and he had some varsity club moments, but some would say at the time, this would be the best match Kevin Sullivan would ever participate in, in WCW. Spring Stampede, 1999, in a horrible year of 1999, WCW became the target of jokes throughout the world, especially the professional wrestling industry with a stale NWO storyline, Master P declaring war on country music, Ric Flair becoming a mental patient in a psychiatric war, Hogan returning back to his Red and Yellow gimmick, and the release of Chris Jericho, Raven the Giant, and some others, but those were the main ones that angered many wrestling fans. But despite all of this, they they still provided one of their finest pay-per-view outings in the spring with Spring Stampede, a wrestling-oriented event that featured two of the year's best matches, Benoit Malenko versus Raven and Saturn, an awesome tag team title match, and to Guerrera versus Blitzkrieg. And a solid mid-card ac- action, but you know, there was... A decent selection of mid-card stars in WCW throughout any era, but especially here, a solid mid-card match uh, from the Steiners, Booker T, the Filthy Animals, and Goldberg, and Nash as well to team against each other, of all people, made some pretty decent lineups. Stampede showed how just how good WCW was if they took themselves seriously. The main event was surprisingly good in itself, with Hogan vs. Flair vs. Sting vs. DDP, which included Hogan injuring his knee that delighted many of the anti-Hogan fans who predicted another world title reign for the Hulkster. In a swerve, Randy Savage dropped the career-killing elbow on Ric Flair for DDP to win the title. While the booking was a little perplexing, to say the least, DDP's title win was one of the unexpected surprises of the early 1999 year that many people talked about throughout the remaining part of that controversial year in WCW history of course his title reign flopped but it was still a shocking moment that took all of us by surprise despite the ending the pay-per-view was nevertheless praised as the best of 1999 in a year that gave us some of the biggest blunders from both sides of the fence but especially from WCW 99 was not a great year As the World Wrestling Federation were riding high, surpassing WCW, but fans were liking DDP as champ. It was new, something different. They wanted to see some of the newer, even though DDP wasn't, wasn't a young pup, but wanted to see newer faces in the top of the card. And they did that with making DDP world champion. Check it out. Spring Stampede, 1999. A sleeper, a hidden gem in the pay-per-view lineup for 1999 in WCW.
10: Imagine that. Me, Vince McMahon. Imagine that. Here I am on WCW television. How can that happen? Well, there's only one way. You see, it was just a matter of time before... I, Vince McMahon, bought my competition. That's right. I own WCW. So, therefore, in its final broadcast tonight on TNT, I have the opportunity to address you, the WCW fans. I have an opportunity to address you, the WCW superstars. What is the fate of WCW? Well, tonight, And a special simulcast, you'll all find out, because the fate, the very fate of WCW is in my hands.
1: I decided to throw in one special edition of The Greatest Gems in WCW, and that is the very final edition of WCW Monday Nitro, just for the sheer fact of having the simulcast between the WWF and WCW, with the main event being Ric Flair versus Sting, one last time on WCW television, and then Shane McMahon showing up on WCW Nitro. McMahon on Nitro, unprecedented. One of the greatest moments in professional wrestling history, let alone WCW. We gave 10 each edition a part one and part two in the greatest gems. But I had to throw this one in as an extra. Of course, the final nitro, the final night officially for WCW before the WWF took over as they purchased the company, they would rebrand WCW as we know. And the invasion occurred, the lackluster invasion, which I'm sure we'll archive in the future beyond the bell, but in our special season covering the Monday night war, we'll break down what led to this event in thorough detail. But just to recap, the final night of WCW with the simulcast of Raw and Nitro will go down as one of the greatest moments in WCW history. Not great in the fact that they were out of business, but just great for professional wrestling in general as no one thought that would ever happen. Raw and Nitro being broadcast simultaneously. And about and McMahon showing up on WCW television. What a night. I'm sure no one will ever forget where they were. The night Raw and Nitro became one and simulcast. Creating the end of the legacy of world championship wrestling. Shane McMahon is on
7: Nitro. What in the hell is he doing? When Shane McMahon showing up on Nitro was more shocking to me than Eric Bischoff showing up on Raw. What's up, Vince? That was a big surprise when Shane showed up on Nitro.
0: No doubt about that.
6: Your ego has gotten the best of you.
0: Seeing Shane with that Nitro logo might have been the strangest thing that I never thought I'd see in our industry.
6: The deal is finalized and the name of the contract does say McMahon. However, the contract really Shane McMahon.
0: You're listening to the Retro Wrestling Podcast, Beyond the Bell. You can listen to Beyond the Bell on iTunes, Player.fm, the SNS Radio Network, Podbay.fm, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and our official website, btbcast.com. Connect socially on Facebook and Twitter at BTBCast. Watch retro videos on our official YouTube channel, BTBCast Network. Questions, comments, and suggestions can be sent to contact at btbcast.com. Go old school with Beyond the Bell.
1: Thank you, fans, for joining us throughout this journey of the first season of beyond the bell the first official season covering world championship wrestling as we close the book on wcw we're prepared to open up more volumes covering the history of professional wrestling wcw will never be forgotten i would argue that i think there should be a ww reunion show we have old school raw there's always talk and there have been over the past decade two decades uh Ever since the, the doors closed on ECW, you could say, there's been always requests for ECW revivals. We've had ECW reunion shows. There hasn't really been a WCW reunion show. I would love to see an old-school Raw be WCW-themed with the old Nitro set and Nitro stars coming back from WCW and even the NWA era. It's For me, I think it's forgotten and a piece of history that should be remembered and celebrated. WCW for its brief stint known as world championship wrestling provided Vince McMahon with his toughest competition ever to a point where Vince McMahon believed he was going out of business, but they prevailed nevertheless and wound up purchasing WCW at the end. And now is the top dog in professional wrestling. Nevertheless, we'll never ever forget the historic memories, matches, promos, stars, fans of world championship wrestling when we all hear 605 we only think of one thing tbs and the nwa slash wcw once again thank you fans for joining us on this ride covering this historic organization which played such a big part in the history of professional wrestling as we close the book on world championship wrestling we're prepared for season two of beyond the bell I mentioned it earlier, get ready as we're opening up the Stone Cold Chronicles. The history of Stone Cold Steve Austin will follow his historic Hall of Fame career in chronological order in the next season of Beyond the Bell. So get ready as the first edition will cover the early days of Stone Cold's career leading him to his entrance into World Championship Wrestling. So until then, this is your retro party host, Sean Beckerman, closing the book on the history of WCW, and I'll see you next edition on Beyond the Bell, as it's time to open up a Steve Weiser and relive the history of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh, and don't forget, stay old school, my friends.